Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is proclaiming this woe upon Bethsaida, upon Chorazin, upon Capernaum. Yesterday, we kind of zoomed in on the verses that deal with Bethsaida and Chorazin. Uh, in Bethsaida, we know based on the Mark and Luke Gospels, that's where he walked on water, at least en route to Bethsaida. He heals a blind man in Bethsaida. He fed the 5,000 in Bethsaida. And so it's, it's going to be better off for Tyre and Sidon. You know, Tyre being the place where the king was, uh, was likened to the devil in Ezekiel 28 than it would be for Bethsaida and for Chorazin. And so now we zoom in on verse 23. <clears throat> and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. To be clear on what he's saying here, like yesterday, it's a proclamation that because of the miracles you've seen, you're actually more condemned than these historic and famously pagan towns. It does speak to an increased severity in the wrath and judgment of God upon a city whose, whose corpus would reject him based on the obviousness and severity of the revelation that they see. If they see miraculous proof and they deny him, they are actually more condemned. It speaks to, it doesn't, it doesn't speak to universal salvation, it actually speaks to an increased intensity of hell for people who have seen miraculous proof over and over and over and over again. I, I would also, uh, uh, this I, I believe is also partly why those who uh, those who repeatedly deny Christ uh, in what's prophesied in Revelation, likewise, may find themselves in a, under a similar state of woe. Literally, there are proclamations of woe. There are these great woes proclaimed by angels in Revelation. And in Revelation, you do see increasing miraculous proof of God. You've got these two witnesses who are miraculously endowed with the ability to defend themselves and proclaim the gospel and be heard and yet people rejoice and they like exchange gifts like it's Christmas when they're killed. And then three days later, they raise again and there's this great woe, this great earthquake and, and people, people die. They've seen a miraculous proof of God and yet they celebrate when, the, when, they, uh, they, they celebrate when God's witnesses are killed. So woe to them indeed. For them, that woe is manifest in a massive earthquake. There are other woes that follow. But wow, by the time you get to uh, the end of the great tribulation narrative in Revelation, there's not a soul on the earth that doesn't really already know the truth that Jesus is Lord. You've got people who are just so hard-hearted that there are no, there are no like weird locust wrath miracles that could ever persuade them. And so they'll, they'll go to hell with eyes wide open, fully aware of their rebellion against God. Like they, they, the, the woe upon them is really great indeed. This, however, is Jesus speaking uh, like, you know, just over 1900 years ago to towns like Capernaum and Bethsaida and, uh, and, and Chorazin. Will you go to heaven? Will you be exalted to heaven, Capernaum? No, you will go down to Hades. Something happened in Capernaum you need to know about. Uh, it's one of the more understated miracles of Jesus' ministry, but it has direct relation to this, to this, this pro, uh, proclamation by, by Jesus in 
Luke chapter 4, verse 29. They got up and drove him out of town, that's Jesus, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. All right, so this is Luke chapter 4. They're enraged at what Jesus has just said. He's just told them something really important, by the way. He's just given them a teaching uh, that is that is really that's really quite quite critical. Okay, he has proclaimed himself uh, a fulfillment of Isaiah sixty one one through two. All right, he has proclaimed himself to be uh, exactly that. He's also given a teaching about the truth of what happened in Elijah's days. Right? Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. That's verse twenty four of Luke two. But I say to you, there will uh, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in, uh, in the prophet Elisha's time, there were, uh, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When everyone heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the cliff, uh, uh, at the edge of the hill that, uh, that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. That's verse 30. That's what happened in Capernaum. Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be sent to Hades. Huge, huge theology behind this. Because what he had just told the town of Capernaum, but before they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, was a relevant teaching that, you know, answering a question that people are asking today in our context. Tomorrow we're going to equate, uh, you know, the the Sodom and Gomorrah thing to our own culture, our own day, and and what, what might happen if there were a revival to break out. But what he was telling them was like, look, there were, there were other people with leprosy in Elisha's day that weren't healed. Right? There were other widows in Elijah's day that weren't miraculously rescued. Like, meaning not everybody's going to get the miracle, guys. Not everybody's going to get their healing. Not everybody's going to be delivered from hardship. There's literally only one leper in Elisha's day that was cleansed, and his, he was Naaman. Elijah ministered to just to this, this, there were certainly many other widows, but he ministered to this one widow and he's, he's showing them like, look, <laughs> not everybody's going to get the miraculous healing that they want. And for that reason, they want to kill Jesus. They want to try to throw him off of a cliff. But then verse 30 of Luke chapter two, he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So uh, Capernaum, it's not looking good for you. You're not going to be exalted to heaven. You will go down to Hades. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 23. They tried to kill Jesus, and Jesus just said this over them, that it's actually going to be better for Sodom on Judgment Day than it will be for the people of Capernaum. If the miracles that were done in you, meaning the miracles that had taken place in Capernaum, had happened in Sodom, it would have remained until today. I've heard people kind of mix up the verbiage here. Uh, Here's my interpretation of verse 23, and I think that the CSB does a fantastic job of rendering the original Greek. It means that Sodom would still exist today. Um, It means that Sodom would still be around. All right, Uh, and then verse 24, and it goes on to elaborate and expand it even further, but I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So not only would Sodom still exist, but uh, if they if they had seen these miracles, but your judgment is going to be stricter on Judgment Day than what Sodom will endure. 
that's a bad place to be because Sodom was so lost, so depraved, it became the archetype for depravity in Paul's example in Romans chapter 1. It became this, it became this, this template for what happens when we deny the truth of God and exchange the truth of God for a lie. Here's the blueprint. Tell me if this sounds familiar. It's patently obvious that there is an eternal, divine God. We look at everything that He's made. This is so obvious to us that we're all without excuse. Now, because we're sinners and because we prefer darkness to light because of our depraved nature, we'd rather have the darkness. We prefer darkness over light because we have evil deeds. And so this obvious divine power, the eternal nature of God, it's so clearly obvious to us that we'd rather just stuff that truth down. Let's just, just suppress it. Like, I know it's true. I know there's a creator, but I'm going to believe in the big bounce. Yes, that's a thing. I didn't misspeak there. <laughs> I believe that the universe maybe has been expanding and then maybe for some weird reason it's going to contract again and then maybe just redetonate and then redetonate and redetonate and all this has happened over the course of 13.8 billion years. Like, if you repeatedly detonate something with, with billions of atomic bombs, it's not going to generate life, Jack. <laughs> this is stupid. You know this. Right? We'll literally believe the Spider-Man Spider-Verse theory before we believe that, like, you know, God created. This is all foolishness. It's such wild speculation on behalf of the, sm the most intelligent and well-educated people in the world. It's almost like Romans 1 is true, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Okay? Like, my nine-year-old son, my ten-year-old son loves Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a clever movie, but good grief, dude. It doesn't make a cosmology. You'll do anything to avoid acknowledging the obvious truth. There's an eternal, divine God. And you deny it not out of objectivity. You suppress the truth so that you can rationalize having sex with whatever or whomever you want to have sex with. That was the blueprint for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what we're doing today. So this, this, this town of Sodom, God just gave them over to what they wanted to do. He gave them over to a depraved mind. And according to Romans 1, they did what ought not be done. Men were inflamed with lust for one another, and then women and also, likewise, gave up natural relations in exchange for unnatural relations with other women. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. That's what happened in Sodom. And then, man, things get really, really bad. I mean, the depravity just continues to escalate from there, as it always does. Depravity never declines. We don't become more righteous on our own. Okay, it's really rare that we corporately would, would accidentally repent apart from, <laughs> you know, like, apart from an overtly Christian movement. That's why I was so surprised to see, uh, uh, like, this brief moment where the secular society started pushing back against pornography and saying, hang on a second, time out, maybe this is a bad thing. Feels like it lasted five minutes, but I was really surprised by it because our depravity just increases as it did at Sodom. Things got so bad at Sodom that God said, I'm going to pour my wrath out on the city. Abraham, the original recipient of the covenant from God, the, the progenitor of the people of Israel, the patriarch of, of the nation, had a nephew named Lot who lived in that town, and he began to plead with God to spare Sodom on behalf of a remnant like this big. And so God 
says he'll spare it. But then he says, look, it's, it's getting worse. I'm going to pour my wrath out. So then Abraham uh, pleads on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah for an even smaller remnant. And this happens a couple of times. It's a really fascinating study in the efficacious nature of prayer as it fits within the, the, the sovereign plan of, of our omniscient God, who already knew the, all of this before the foundations of the earth. So God does exactly what he said he would do. There are two angels that come in to warn Lot and his family. And then uh, the crowd of men tries to rate the angels. Lot brings the angels in, tries to placate the crowd by offering them his daughters. Okay, this, I mean, this like horror show of a father is referred to as the most righteous man in town. Put that in perspective, the most righteous guy in town, the one that the book of Hebrews says was, was grieved by the depravity around him, just offered his daughters to a rape-hungry crowd that had been even miraculously stricken blind by the two angels, and then they were still clawing at the door to get in, to try to have sex with the angels, okay? The angels came to warn them they wanted to have sex with the angels. Like, that's how depraved things were. That's how bad things were. Lot and his family got out, left town, eventually, finally, listening and obeying. His wife turns around, right? And she's, likewise, she becomes another example of the wrath of God. She's still longing for that, looking back upon all of that. They were told clearly not to look back. Archaeologists found remnants of the town of Sodom and Gomorrah and it was destroyed from fire from on high, just as the Bible said. Archaeology has never disproven the Bible. It has only ever substantiated what the Bible says. So that's Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the archetype for what happens. That's the blueprint for how to get destroyed by God. And it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. Think about that. Are you sure you want to demand more miracles from God? Because the more miracles you see, the more condemned you are when you deny Christ, when you refuse to repent from sin. Things get worse and worse. The more miracles you receive, that you get a stricter judgment, it's directly in proportion to the revelation that you have received. Now tomorrow, we're going to apply this and see what it means for us today in our context, because there's another way. There's another way. It doesn't have, we don't have to go down like Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't have to be judged corporately more strictly than Tyre and Sidon. There also could be repentance in sackcloth and ashes. That's what Jesus said would have happened in Tyre and Sidon. If he had gone to Tyre and Sidon and healed a blind man and fed 5,000 people and walked on water, those towns would have repented. He doesn't say that about Sodom, by the way. He just says that Sodom would still exist. It wouldn't have been taken out by God in fire. If they had repented, if they'd seen these miracles, they would have not been taken out by God. But as things stand, I tell you, Capernaum, Sodom's going to have a less strict judgment than you. It's really, really bad news for Capernaum. But wow, we today can learn much from this because we bear similarities to Sodom. Corporately, we bear remarkable similarity to Tyre and to Sidon. We'll talk about that one tomorrow.